0: Hey, it's Sean Fennessey, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So supposedly, there is an apocryphal Jerry Lewis story where he would have a hidden recorder in a briefcase, mm-hmm. leave the room so that he could hear what people were saying about him after he left and then come back. Oh, I forgot my briefcase and so take paranoid. it so he could play. I know. I know. I had him once on Politically Incorrect when yeah. we were in Las Vegas and I wanted a Jerry moment where he admonishes me and I got it within two seconds when I started briefing him. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there was a hint of smile on my face, but he had no idea why I was smiling. It was because I got my Jerry moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go ahead and start on that note. <laughs> All
3: right, everybody. Welcome back to Black on the Air. We're already in conversation. you kind of joining us mid-conversation. Uh, I'm happy to have this week. What am I favorite people in the world. This guy is so interesting. And I'm looking forward to have a talk today because I I feel like we could just talk for hours about stuff. And actually we have, to be honest, you know. But uh, he's Emmy-nominated producer, uh, Politically Incorrect initially, Real Time Bill Maher, as well as many other shows, stand-up comic initially. I mean, he's done it all. He's multi-talented is what I'm trying to say, you guys. Uh, But but. Even more importantly, this is what really interests me. He's hosting a new podcast now called Ye Gods. It's all about faith and morals. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Scott Carter, welcome to Black on the Air, my friend. How you doing? Very good, Larry. It is a delight always to see you and always to talk to you. And I thank you, you for too. being one of the early Ye Gods guests.
3: I know. It was an honor. It's really as You know, we talked about it's really my wheelhouse. I love talking about those things. You know, even when I was younger, I would have conversations with my friends, you know, and that kind of stuff into the wee hours of the night about all these types of things. So it's, it's nice to see somebody out there, especially you know, when you think of showbiz, you know, people don't think we're interested in these things, right? (laughs) You know, and to have someone with a vigorous interest in it, you know, is really cool.
2: Well, it's interesting because many of the guests so far, I think I've done 18 interviews and many of them so far, when the interview stops, the person will say, this is what I like to talk about most (laughs) and nobody wants to ask me about it. And even as I look at the other shows the other podcasts that are kind of in this lane. Nobody's exactly this lane because in the, in when I look on Apple, uh, religion and spirituality, we did hit number 46 last week. Great. Um, Awesome. Well, uh, but everybody, but most others are father Ed wants to Mm -hmm. tell you what the church thinks about the gospels or it's atheist. So, and so wants to tell you why you're an idiot. If you have any faith, and, or it's new agey and mm-hmm. you know whatever astrology enneagram whatever i'm kind of coming from a place of interest but not yeah. of conclusion
3: not of doctrine or dogma yeah. yeah
2: yeah yes i'm not i'm not being underwritten by any religious organization how did this podcast come about tell us d-
3: describe it for everyone exactly what you do and and well, how did this come about? Was it years in the thinking of this? Was it brewing something brewing inside of you type of thing and you finally had the yeah. opportunity? Was that what Well, I'm well, thinking?
2: here's here's it all starts in 1987. I was mm-hmm. a stand-up in New York. Yeah. And I I've been a lifelong asthmatic. My family mm. moved from Kansas City where I was born to Arizona because they yeah, thought
3: that that's a typical thing. It, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and um, it didn't cure me. Um, that was Gary Shandling's story, wasn't it? Was Gary it? Shandling's? Uh, this is how we became very close. Yeah. Um, he was his family was born in Chicago. Yeah. His brother, I believe, had cystic fibrosis. I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They moved for, to Tucson, and we we went to the same high school. Oh wow. And But the high school was so big that there was a morning session from six to noon and an afternoon session from noon to six. That's crazy. I was on the afternoon. He was in the morning. He was a senior when I was a freshman. We didn't know each other then, but it became a bond later that we were both Palo Verde Titans. You recalled it, right. So anyway, so I we move out. I'm, uh, you know, it had a disastrous effect upon many people in my family, the fact that we moved. My father's business tanked. My father had 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 a series of nervous breakdowns when I was in high school. Onward, we thought we we're going to lose our house, and mm. I, as a child, blamed all of it on myself. Oh, I was the yeah. burden. I was like the, um, I was like the Hollywood movie that goes way over budget, <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. and so anyway, I was not interested in this area at all. But in 1987, I was in living in Manhattan, uh, a stand.
3: Uh, let me ask you this. Before you get to that, was your family religious at all? Were they spiritual?
2: What was the what was your family like? My parents, if we moved, they would find a Protestant church within a 10-minute radius. Mm-hmm. And the criteria was about community, in other words, okay. the 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 coffee and donuts served after the service. Sure. That was as important as wine and wafer and uh and it was more about if they liked the people respectability
3: was more at the center of it it seems like well, right?
2: and, and and community and that kind of community of support
3: yeah yeah, yeah. That it
2: kind of forms like my mother in her both my parents are dead now but my mm-hmm. mother in her last years was um uh was the one who figured out the bridal room for when the church had weddings <laughs> and and sort of mm-hmm. took care of the bride who was about to have um, her big day and mm-hmm. um, and my it was a parochial school where she sent my two youngest siblings. I I went to public school the whole time, oh. um, but it was about uh, if people are nice or not and and if they like them. So in 1987, I have a near-death asthma attack. I'm mm-hmm. I'm at the woman who's now my wife. It was our second date. I was in wow. her apartment. Mm-hmm. And I get down to 11% of my lung capacity. Oh my I'm taken God. in an ambulance to Bellevue uh, after they, you know, hit me with uh, prednisone and a couple of, and they, you know, What does that feel
3: like? You just couldn't breathe? Well, as as a a child, child?
2: I used to have, uh, as a child, I used to have adrenaline shots. And I would go from feeling, it's like in the comics when there'd be kryptonite near Superman and he'd be (laughs) reduced to being completely (laughs) helpless. (laughs) And then he'd figure out some way to get rid of the krypton and he'd go back to being Superman. I would go from not being able to breathe to feeling like I could lift a car. Oh my God. And, because of the um, adrenaline.
3: Because you were oh, getting yeah, adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. Because so it didn't just clear it up. you and it gave no. you those boosts of something. Yeah. Well,
2: and it's and it's and that's temporary. It's kind of getting you past a, a hump, but there is this immediate infusion of energy. What a roller coaster. An extreme roller coaster. So um I have this near death attack, and I'm and the oh, okay. the head of chest lungs at Bellevue happened to be on call that day. Mm-hmm. And so after they bring me down and my uh, level of lung capacity goes back up to something approaching normal, he says, look, you, you're, <laughs> you are like trying to drive across country in second gear. <laughs> mm-hmm. your, your respiratory system is under such strain. We're going to keep you here for a few days. Mm. And we're going to get you back to a higher base level of health. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna come back and see me every few months. Where did you live at this time? Uh, 109th York? Street between Amsterdam and Broadway.
3: You were in New York. Were your parents uh they're in Arizona. They were still in they were Arizona. Still in Arizona. Arizona. Yep, okay. Yep.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I said, that's fine with me. So I stayed in the hospital. My the attack was on a Sunday. I am released on a Saturday afternoon. It's June in New York, muggy, thick air. Uh, I walk out tentatively because I don't know if I'm going to have a relapse. Oh, man. And I suddenly, at the corner of 26th Street and First Avenue, I have kind of an epiphany. And it's like Saul on the road mm-hmm. to Damascus, sure. scales dropping from eyes. And I just go from, uh, you got to be an idiot to believe in God, to there's got to be a God. and And I instantly, I go into this bliss state, mm. and I remember seeing... The guy selling Sabret hot dogs on the corner and thinking, "What a genius! <laughs> this is this is like the apex of civilization so that Brett someone hot would dogs. have a portable cart by That's which people so could funny. come up and for a dollar they could be getting a hot dog and they would be fed and they would walk on, um, th- just everything. One You're night finding
3: I, beauty in all of the world, <laughs>
2: oh, a, a beauty, and beauty, beauty in everything, uh, beauty in the
3: Sabret dog. Uh,
2: yeah. Two days later, I remember. My girlfriend and I, at the time, we go to a diner, mm-hmm. and it's one of those nights where it's going to the trash can be picked up the next day, and I start rhapsodizing about trash bags on the sidewalk. That's hilarious. That there is this um, structure in society now by which a truck is going to come along and it's going to take all of these bags. And it's like you're on ecstasy for a few days or something. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs>
2: but what happened then was it um, it began to fade. And it's mm-hmm. like the story Flowers for Algernon. Yes. Where the, the guy who is of uh, minimal intelligence level becomes a genius, yeah. but then he goes back. Yeah. And Algernon is is the, is the rat in the maze who's initially given this serum, and yeah. he becomes a genius rat who can get through the maze in two seconds, but he eventually goes back to his original intelligence level and mm. dies. And so I felt like this week or so, has been the that's most one of the
3: first grown up books that I read, by the way, when I was young. Flowers yeah, and it was Algenau. made into
2: a movie it was made with into Cliff, movie, yeah. Cliff Robertson. Yeah, and it's was, was called Charlie. Yeah, and he won an Oscar. Yeah, for that. There you um, got a little bit of trivia for you guys. There you well, you, as I've gotten to know <laughs> from our conversations, uh, there is at almost any point when we're talking. <laughs> It's like <laughs> a hallway a where yes. you, you've got a door that you can open and <laughs> we could such... go into that room and we could stay there for an hour. Oh, we could spend hours in those rooms. Hours, yeah. So anyway, so when I asked this bliss state faded over about nine or ten days, um, then I thought, you know what? Um, I've just had the most profound experience of my life and mm-hmm. now it's completely gone, but I remember it like a like a good dream. Um, well, I'm going to make a a deal with the universe that for the next two years, anytime anybody wants to talk about religion to me, I've got to listen. Or anytime anybody wants me to go to any kind of ceremony, I will have to go or if they give me something to read. So I would walk down the street. So had you let me ask you this. Yeah. Had
3: you given up on God at that point, like because of your asthma or your things, did you feel? Because I always feel like people come at this from different points of view. Some people are just atheists. They just don't believe there's a God. There's nothing really connected to that except maybe an intellectual exercise or philosophical exercise. But I think some people are more angry at God for some reason and kind of get rid of his existence because of a relationship that's gone wrong. You know, like God has abandoned me or God has given up on me. Therefore, I no longer ha- have this faith.
2: Well, a lot of my childhood was about my mother taking me to services, mm-hmm. like he, like like laying on of hands,
0: mm-hmm.
2: where the minister is supposed to be giving extra potent prayers. Yes. And there are so many Bible verses that it's all about your belief level.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, in other words, I'm seven or eight. Yeah. And I'm thinking if I'm not breathing better, <laughs> mm. it's because my faith, it's my fault. Faith, my faith wasn't strong enough. Or mm. God doesn't want to do any better by me. And mm. uh and my notion and my it's notion so, of Jesus oof. was uh the guy who comes into my bedroom at night while I'm sleeping and starts strangling me. So I wake up choking.
3: Wow. So so to answer the question. It was your relationship with God. (laughs) It was very the relationship was built on you weren't good enough for I'm not good enough for for God. Yeah. I'm not not good good enough enough for for God. God.
2: Right. And um, and then also it was it was uh I was always very aware of my cost overruns. Like we've got to like like maybe there's no new, I don't know, expensive gift for one of my siblings because I've got to get. Extra medicine, or I've got to get. Mm. Something There's something else. There's so that much has to be. guilt in your life growing up. So much. Yeah. Uh, well, it, a lot of my life has been working, working through that. Yeah. So, so I, so I made this deal for two years. Anybody who wants to present anything to me, I've got to do it by the end of two years. Uh, I'd started working in television. I'd gone from stand-up to where I wasn't very good, and then when I started writing and then producing for television, it was like, well, this is what I was really. I've been training for all of my life. My health, I kept going back to Bellevue for checkups, mm-hmm. and my health was better than it had been in 10 or 15 years. Mm. Um, my, I got engaged with uh, my girlfriend then, my wife now, uh, for over 30 years. Um, so everything in my life was kind of um, a validation mm. of this commitment I'd made to um, treating all this uh, treating everything religious a little bit more seriously, not the mis- dismissing it out of hand.
3: So I just want to make a distinction here. So many times when people say they have an epiphany, it's directly related to God and religion, where like like the baby Christian thing that you talk about, you know, and they, they join a church, you know, and they're doing these things. I'm using Christian as an example, but for you, it seems a little broader than that. Your epiphany seems to it seems like what you're saying, you were closed off to even having any kind of relationship with God or that type of thing, because it was just too hurtful, damaging, or whatever. And now I'm using my own words. And and afterwards, you became more open to even to have a discussion about this, but you didn't necessarily jump into the church aspect of it.
2: I didn't have a and church then, to return to.
3: Okay. So it was more of the spiritual area, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. in
2: other words, we had been, at different times in my childhood— lutheran episcopal methodist presbyterian like i said it was wherever the people were nice and it was 10 minutes away oh wow um and i remember we were christian scientists for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. so in other words i know lapsed catholics lapsed uh, jews who then go back to how they were raised i didn't feel like i couldn't have told you what do lutherans believe that (laughs) episcopalians do not I couldn't tell you. So yeah. I was kind of open. I was unaffiliated. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of open for anybody who made a case to me, which also made it easier for me to say, oh, you want me to go to this Hindu service or this Buddhist service? Or you want me to read uh, this Taoist, uh, the, the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, or you want me, to, whatever you want me to do, I'm open to any of it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have to, I didn't tell myself that I had to then follow it I just had to consider. So for instance, if I was walking down the street in New York and there was a guy with a Mr. Microphone haranguing the crowd, Mm -hmm. I'd have to stop. I couldn't just keep walking by. I would have to stop, listen until I felt like I got the gist of what he was talking about. Or on the subway, people would come up and give you pamphlets. The end of the world is coming on October 26th. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I would have to read it. I couldn't just get rid of it. How long did this period last? It lasted a couple of years mm-hmm. until I started producing TV shows. And then that became all consuming.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I tried to kind of keep a sense of spiritual perspective, but it got to be harder. Oh, but well, you know what it's like it, when you're in television, that it's long, long days. And even when you're not at the studio, you're thinking about. Writing, or you're thinking about pro- yeah. what needs to be produced. And so it's kind of taking you over. Did you feel like there was a
3: conflict between this new feeling of enlightenment and the jobs that you were doing at the time and your stand up? Was there a conflict or did it free you up in any way? Or
2: uh, I was a, a not a good stand-up. I was terrible. Mm-hmm. I was always too self-conscious. I was, but I remember uh that. Other comics who were the smartest, I always got along with. Uh So so when my friends started getting TV shows, a lot of them said, we want him to be a writer on the TV show. Uh Or the first two jobs I had in television were stand-ups who got in shows and got to choose some of their writing staff. Uh And then the second show that I was on, there was no producer hired yet. Because there was someone who was supposed to be hired, and then she decided not to do it. Anyway, I had, I had grown up, I had helped start a theater in Arizona that's still going after 50 years. I'd been a journalist, I'd edited magazines, I'd been a critic, uh, interviewing people. And anyway, I kind of had this organizational background. So on this show that was at the very beginning of what became Comedy Channel, but uh, Comedy Central, but it was called Comedy Channel, because I don't know if you remember mm-hmm, this, too. there were warring comedy channels that Viacom had ha. Ha I remember ha, And yeah. HBO had the comedy channel and neither were going to succeed so they were both in like 2 million homes so they merged and yeah, as soon as they merged they became in 40 50 60 million
3: and i remember it was kind of uh based on the MTV model like there was those the programming was a lot of clips of comedians i think at the time right you in you have time. a
2: you have a total recollection of a <laughs> of a terrible period of time yeah. where uh, there were not enough clips for them nope. to keep being funny. And you know the way you can listen to a song that you love a hundred yeah. times, you don't want to hear a joke no matter how much you laugh the first yeah. time. You don't want to hear it or watch it a hundred times. There
3: has to be some time to pass. Because even your favorite people, like when you think of the classic albums that you love, you know... Yeah, after time has passed, you can listen to it again. Oh, that was so funny. But you don't want to see it the next day. You know, where yeah, that's right. Songs that's right. you can play back to back to yeah. back to back.
2: It's been yeah. two hours. I gotta hear that song again, you know. Yeah, what I mean? exactly. Exactly. So it was kind of doomed to failure. Yeah. And over a period of time, the HBO was smart enough to realize this is not a successful model. Let's start making the host time bigger. Mm. And and let's start and we'll get rid of the clips eventually. Which viewers were delighted by. Yeah. <laughs> and and so the show that I worked on was Night After Night with Alan Havey. And after that was when, Politically, was when Comedy Channel decided to make a deal with Bill Maher for Politically Incorrect. And
3: it's interesting that, you know, you begin working with the guy who's... Arguably one of the most famous atheists in the world. <laughs> you know? Although when we started
2: working, we were closer than we would be on that topic now. Interesting. Was he different on that area? or There are interviews where he, t- early interviews, where he talks about saying prayers at night hmm. to protect the people who are close to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember we both had an admiration for Jesus. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has shifted over a period of time with him. But, um, but I would uh, say also that by doing a show with Politically Incorrect I had four guests real time when mm-hmm. I was with it had five, that I was always producing a show with multiple people. The guest, the host was the most important. But I would also be trying to get the viewpoint of every individual guest to be brought out as much as possible. So if we had some strong Christian like Christine O'Donnell, who ran, ran for Senate and had to do a commercial denying that she was a witch, right. she had talked about being a witch on our show. Um, but I want the person who's formerly been a witch. I want her to be as witchy as possible. I right. want, I, you know, I, I want everybody I want Jerry Falwell to be the maximum Jerry Falwell. I want everybody, liberal and conservative. I want I'm I was like a pro bono lawyer yeah. to every
3: guest. You really turned out to be the perfect person for that job based on what had just happened to you for a show that wanted to present people equally without bias and let them say their own thing. Here's a guy who wanted everything, oh being open to everything during that period. That's interesting to have those kind of things line
2: up. Well, I' I'm, I'm fa- I love talking to people. I love finding out people's stories. Mm-hmm. I um, and also there was a evolution that people have always said to me, you should write a book about this. maybe I will at some point. but um, I was often in a small room, a, a, a small dressing room with someone who I completely disagreed with. Mm-hmm. but I would have to be like a court-appointed lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have to be trying to get the best out of them. And very often the conversation would start with them saying to me, I don't know why I'm here. Hmm. And the answer to that actually was, well, you're here to sell a book that you wrote. Let's be honest. But I, I would, but they would say, I'm not going to change Bill's mind. He's not going to change mine. I, I would say to them, you're not here to change his mind. He's not here to change yours. Mm-hmm. We have X number, whatever the number was at the time, of people who watch this show, and we had we did a focus group one time, and you were on we, every
3: night, you're four times a week type yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And sometimes five. Or when we first moved to ABC, we're on five yeah, nights which a week, is a and then booking it four. nightmare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're doing you're doing twenty guests a week. No, it's a booking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your standards shift. Mm. because availability becomes a prime virtue uh, that someone can actually show up and be in the studio and mm-hmm. nothing can be done by satellite. Also, everyone had to actually be there. You had to be having everybody sit in the same room.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but, uh, but I would want everybody to be the best version of themselves. And mm-hmm. if they were, then the whole thing would work out. Because it seems like times have changed so much. I don't know if you could
3: have four people with different opinions and at the same stage right now and have it be civil Were the most part were, was it pretty civil on the
2: stage there for the most part? For the most part it yeah. was. And, and, but a lot of that were the details of producing that we mm-hmm. attended to. Mm-hmm. One of the things is you want to bring people together. I often, when we moved from New York to Los Angeles, I was touring studios and they would assure me that we've got separate green rooms. If you want to have people fighting later. And I said, no, that's not what we want. So in other words, I would want to have people meet each other and share a laugh or some light moment before the taping started, Mm -hmm. because then it's harder to demonize the other person. We also, it was also the time where um, cable is before Fox news. Yeah, it was. Before that's MSNBC, true. when yeah. we started. So there was just CNN. Mm-hmm. And CNN had a show called, you'll remember, called Crossfire. Absolutely. I used to make jokes about it. Where if you came on as a liberal host or a liberal guest, you had to always take the liberal position, whether or not you believed in it. And right. same thing true with conservatives. And one of the points that I would make to guess early on is that's not this show. Yeah. We want your nuances. We want where you aren't in party line. We we want where you aren't in march step with mm-hmm. others in your party. And very often, for me, a successful show was if we had four segments, if people, if there were different alignments between the host and the guests from one segment to the next, mm-hmm. so that by the end you had had sense of them being complex in the way that people are who you know. Uh I don't know. I mean, my grandmother, for instance, never voted for a Republican Uh because uh, Franklin Roosevelt, she thought, saved her family during the Depression. And so it was always all Democrats. But I know more people in those days. Now, maybe we've gotten more polarized now, so it'd be more party line votes. But in those days, there was a greater sense of people being, for instance, you'd hear the phrase a lot, well, I'm um, fiscally conservative, but I'm socially liberal. Sure. Well, that's a nuanced position. It's funny. yeah,
3: you can't make those distinctions so much anymore um even though I still try to make them. <laughs> but I think I think social media has been one of the reasons for that like you guys came about when there wasn't any social media, you know yeah
2: it was be, it was before that it was before blogs. it was before um, I mean, I think we were, we started before internet when if you, you did, were working on a show like a talk show, which as you've done, there was a, a service, LexisNexis. Oh, yeah, that was an expen- yeah, yeah. expensive research service. Mm-hmm. But But that is what existed before the internet, yeah. before Google. But that was more of a research tool. That type right, of thing, right. Yeah. but now you can find out everything about a guest in 5 seconds
3: right but it's also the clapback that people can do you know which is the biggest difference like i think a lot of times people aren't nuanced in areas because they're going to get so much clapback from the <laughs> from the audience in social media where i think in your, in those days when you're starting, you were starting there was no
2: reason to even think that, right? It It is um, amazing to think at one point there was a phrase from television hosts about cards and letters. Yeah. The notion that if you object to something yeah. that you're hearing or watching, you're going to get a postcard. You're going to write. Right. <laughs> in, in pencil or ink, you're going to write. You're going to get Which a stamp. going to take gonna put the weeks to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your you're going to put it in the mailbox <laughs>
3: wow, and then at some imagine. point it's going to
2: be delivered
3: Wow.
2: How, how what another, what a prehistoric world that was. And what's interesting
3: about that is that if you're going to sit and write something, that means there's going to be a little time to reflect, you know. And if you're real angry about something, maybe that you know, goes away as you're writing it, or she's like, oh, I'm going to write that tomorrow. And, eh, forget it, you know? But it's funny where social media is so different. It's so reflexive of how
2: you're feeling in the moment. There's no reflective time, you know? Well, your finger hitting send, yeah, uh, it prohibits you from having second, more considered thoughts. Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, think about how many times you've written something, maybe before you go to sleep, you make a note, you get up in the morning you look at it again and you think this is stupid yeah this idea is not worth me telling another live human being. were there any uh, times on the show where
3: your mind was changed about something did you did you uh, were you just agnostic about most things or were you, did you consider yourself strongly opinionated oh, I, on? I,
2: I had strong opinions but but it was my job to still represent people fairly. Mm-hmm. So for instance, in one of Andrew Breitbart's, I think his last book, I mean, he writes about an experience on our show and says mm-hmm. and mentioned me as the person orchestrating things and says, liberal they come, but fair. Well, that's all I I asked, uh, mm-hmm. was that because I'm helping you get out your side. Um, but the one conclusion that I came to or the place in which my mind was changed that I did never anticipate, but after three or four years, Um, Because when we started Politically Incorrect in 1993, um, the conservative movement did not have access to major broadcasting or New York Times, Washington Post. Mm -hmm. So the conservative movement at that time was a world of newsletters. And radio, Uh, And radio, right? Well, and radio had shifted only because Mm -hmm. of Reagan getting rid of the fairness doctrine. Could you have a channel with only one point of view? Mm -hmm. And and so we had a lot of people on politically incorrect who would do these um, newsletters to the right that would be seen by read by maybe subscriber base of fifteen thousand something like that. But what I found was over a period of time, conservatives would plan. A lot more when they would come on our show. Mm. And so, as a producer, I felt like you read the questions that I sent to you of topics <laughs> we might discuss. You um. actually looked up an article and you actually have three points on question one or two points on question two, versus what I found over a period of time. Liberals had such strong beliefs in the rightness of their position. Mm -hmm. that they did not think they needed to do any research. Wow. And so very often liberals would be clobbered on the show by more prepared, but less known conservatives. And as a producer, I would think, oh, the side that I disagree with is winning. But you know what? Um, It's like if you have a you root for a baseball team and they get trounced and your team made five errors, you deserve to lose. Yeah.
3: It's funny because on that show, going back to being correct too, is you guys have people like Ann Coulter on the show, who now she seems like such a hot rod of, of just divisiveness for people in the world. Like the people who either extremely hate her or <laughs> really like her yeah. a lot. And You guys
2: had her on the show a lot, you know, oh, not only um, Ann Coulter, but Laura Ingram. Yeah. Uh, one time, Tucker Carlson, Came out to the show and he wasn't wearing a bow tie, Mm -hmm. and I took him in Los Angeles. I took him to the wardrobe department at CBS and said, "We have to get a bow tie for this man before we tape. He is the bow tie guy." Um, And 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 he would he went went along with it, and um, and I knew many people who you know later kind of you know they kind of blew up, but because as you said, having to book twenty guests a week, your your first job is to be filling all those seats for each of those tapings. Yeah. And, and so you see somebody, let's say on Crossfire or Meet the Press or uh, another show, and there weren't as many then, um, you then think, let's try let's try that person. The other thing with 20 guests a week was we could have somebody who I would have a great phone conversation with and I'd have a great prepping and then they would fail on the show. But because we needed 20 a week, I could bring that person back in three or four weeks mm-hmm. and say let's try them again, and then they would become a regular mm-hmm. because they'd had the learning curve. If you only do one show a week and you've got and you've got five guests, if somebody fails, it's difficult to get to get them a second chance. Mm-hmm.
3: So now we're like I said, we're in a different time. Like when you describe Tucker Carlson, it almost seems like a quaint cozy (laughs) story with the guy who's pretty reasonable. And now like the Tucker Carlson now to me, you know, he just got fired. Of course, there's nothing reasonable about him. Like I can't, there's no category that I can put him in except this vile propagandaist. you know, to make up a word, you know, Um, how does that happen? Like what is, what happened in these years for people like that, He's one of, uh, there are many other people that are like that, but I don't know if, do you think he was waiting to be that that type of person was there? Uh, because I guess the point I'm trying to make is, it seemed like people were just more reasonable. And what happened?
2: I, I think that there were, the foul lines were clearer. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, now it's like people are coming out of the stands, and if there's a pop-up and you see the other person on the other team the first baseman's going to catch it you tackle the first baseman so he can't somebody comes out of the stands and that's kind of where we are now the foul lines were definite i think in those days but the other thing um and a lot of people forget tucker carlson was was one of the hosts of crossfire on cnn yeah john stewart eviscerated him yeah. he was one of the original msnbc hosts and i remember having a talk with him in his uh waiting room uh and him predicting. The rise of MSNBC. He said, um, the success of Keith Olbermann is going to have three or four effects. And he named them, and they were all true. Chris Matthews will get to keep his job. Because Chris Mas- Matthews had been the old guy mm-hmm. at MSNBC. And I remember there was a sense of, you know, is he part of the new group? And is he going to, well, no, he's ultra liberal, he's going to keep his job. And then Keith Olbermann, a lot of the people who you've seen as guests on the Keith Olbermann show, they're going to get their own shows like Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes did. Because why? I'm going to get fired. I think that maybe either Dennis Miller, who also was on MSNBC in those days, or was he on CNBC? But he was going to be said, but he's not long, or he had just been let go. Mm -hmm. But in in other words, what he's saying is MSNBC is going to become the liberal cable network. Mm -hmm. And CNN is still going to try and position itself in the middle. And Fox is emerging as as the right wing. And he was correct about all that. So so why so evil now? (laughs) uh, What what I think, you know, look, you can't get into the head of anybody and know exactly what their motivations are. And for a lot of people, they don't even know their own motivations. But I think what starts happening is there's so much money. You, you have mm. no idea besides whatever anyone gets to host a show and if it's on for a couple of years, the hosts only gain in power yeah. um, th- throughout that time. but also just the corporate gigs. there is so much money to be made mm. for some yeah. of these people for coming out just to show up. Y- giving yeah. them red meat for mm-hmm. 20 minutes yeah and then flying back to wherever you 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 came from, wherever you live. Um, there is so much money there that I think it becomes increasingly difficult mm-hmm. to say no to anything. Well, it's, it's like the emails yeah. that were revealed from the Dominic, Dominion yeah, yeah. suit. In other mm-hmm. words, they keep referring to, we have to respect our viewers, which translates into, we can't tell our viewers the truth. We have right. raised a fan we've base. Created this
3: monster and we have to, we've feed created it. the monster right.
2: and now we have to keep feeding it or we get, we get eaten. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's.
1: Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom.
3: Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads,
1: but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at vuori.com Simmons. Once again, v-u-o-r-i.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment. So it's important Get your oil change, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, Car More, to find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Coming back to the
3: spirituality, where's your? Where are you right now? Do you believe in God? Do you? Uh, Do do you believe in God as a specific God or as a general spiritual presence?
2: I have not had a moment of doubt since that epiphany moment getting out of Bellevue in 1987. Uh, But I've had periods of, I don't deserve grace. Mm -hmm. I've had that. Or I've had a period of, well, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Episcopalian. I'm not, uh, you know, what. I'm not Hindu. I'm not... Uh, Any of these things, I can't return to them. I have no community there. So I'm always going to be kind of this um, seeker, this curious seeker who's interested. And then what I read having a tremendous uh, influence based upon my consideration of it. So, for instance, um, The Te Ching by Lao Tzu, as translated by Stephen Mitchell, is one of my prime books. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also wrote, and he's a friend of mine and my favorite translator of spiritual works in the English language. He's also written a Bhagavad Gita. He wrote a Genesis, a Psalms, uh, a Job. Um, a he did a Gospel like Jefferson's Gospel, um, and and so, and we got to be friends. I went to a book reading. He had done a Gilgamesh, and there was a question and answer period. And I raised my hand and said, um, and I was the last question. And I said, okay, you've done. Uh, you've done translations of so many different kinds of works in spiritual traditions. Where are you personally? And he Mm -hmm. said, I, um, it's too big of a question. Uh, I can't answer it here. Uh, now let's do book signings. And so when I went up to have my book signed by him, he said, if you want, we could have lunch and I will give you a full explanation. Mm -hmm. And so I did it. And that's how we became friends. And his wife is an amazing woman who uh, writes under the name Byron Katie. And she has a number of books, the first of which is called Loving What Is. Stephen is her editor. Anyway, um, I'm not uh, limited by, um, well, I'm in this parish. So I go to this church and my priest tells me this. I have two brothers who became Catholic. I mean, we're all raised Protestant, but two two of my brothers became Catholic one because he married a woman who was Catholic, the other because he m- moved down to the historic part of Tucson, Arizona where he wanted to build homes and restore homes and there's a cathedral there and he and it's his community and he started going to mass and and became a and became a Catholic over a period of time mm-hmm. but I'm I don't see myself ever. I don't call myself a Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, belong to any church, though I have in LA, there are probably four or five different places where I have attended regularly, or two or three where I've attended regularly. I went to a gospel study at Hollywood Presbyterian that lasted eight years. So mm. two years on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, total of eight years. Mm. The gospels are not, it's not very long. Those are very brief books, but eight years on it. And then when that got to be done. I went to other churches, yeah. and I, I and I'll and I'll kind of sit and I'll use, usually go by myself, and I will use that time to reflect, and I'll, I'll have a pencil in my hand and usually have a piece of paper. and whatever comes in my mind during the service, I'll write down and then later think, oh, well, this is something I need to do or this is popping mm-hmm. up in my mind because I need to do it. But the other thing that I started doing recently, is there is two blo- two blocks up from me? There is a house that has a sign in front saying um, the 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 activity the, the organization is called Hangout Do Good. Anyway, I make ten sack lunches every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I and th- I usually listen to something spiritual while I'm making these. Then I. I take them up, take these, t- I have to make 10. Each of the sack lunches needs to have seven items in it. Uh-huh. And then I take them up to this lawn that is that is just filled with all these people who have brought sack lunches. These, this organization feeds between, I think, between five and 6,000 people every Sunday. And then I'll take a walk after that and kind of think about what I've been listening to and what my thoughts have been about while I've been making these lunches. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh-huh. Real so interesting. Um, Do you think that, you know, with all the different tones that you mentioned um, from Latsu to the Bhagavad Gita, all these things, does this suggest that is there, like, uh, you know, some people are monotheistic, you know, there's only one God and the only way to reach that God is through one particular religion. Some people may think there's only one God, but there are many ways to reach this one God through many different religions some people may believe well there are multiple gods <laughs> you know there has always been of course pagan beliefs and some other religions you know and there's maybe one way to reach multiple gods you know <laughs> but all of those incorporate the idea that there is a supreme being supreme beings and everything uh what do you think about that type of thing does that I, does that fracture a little bit the Existence of God, maybe does it make it seem too dependent on notions, or uh, you know, like a anthropomorphic view of the universe, maybe? Well, let
2: me even expand it beyond the uh, examples. Sorry you to just, get real philosophical. No, 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 I uh-huh. I'm very comfortable here. Uh-huh. Um, if 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 people are interested in hearing, or if you're interested in hearing, um, my two daughters both grew up, and one of the best books they had was a book on the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. And so, at some point, I thought, what's this book they love so much? And I started reading it, and I started thinking, well, here's a complete alternate way to look at the world. Not that I believe in Zeus now, though that is the name of our dog, Mm -hmm. our golden retriever. He is the king of dogs. (laughs) But I get the notion of a society needing to interpret the origin of the universe Mm -hmm. as being more Mm human-like rather than, let's say, Moses on Mount Sinai gets uh, tablets presented to him by a divine force or Mm -hmm. Jesus is perfect. I kind of get the notion of a society where, wait a minute, Let's have gods and they have different powers mm-hmm. and they have a hierarchy and they're different powers and they're petty. And if one of them is mm-hmm. off on vacation, the other two plot against them, or <laughs> or somebody's <laughs> stealing somebody else's wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I I completely see it, and it's like watching, not unlike watching The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're you're watching a, a hierarchy, reality yeah, yeah. a reality show that mm-hmm. has a sense of hierarchy, um, but to your first question here, I think um, it gets back to my first epiphany instinct, which it wasn't theological. Mm-hmm. It was emotional. Right. And then I've sought um, literal, um, I've sought a pathway to to something more literal mm-hmm. um, To to extend this feeling that I've had that I haven't gotten rid of. Is this feeling that
3: you have dependent on an existence of god or can it operate outside of that because it seems to be an inspirational thing that you're talking about uh your epiphany as you say is not theologically based and it's not a doctrine connection that you're having it's not you're seeing the the light in the words of christ or or you know buddha or that type of thing well, well it can
2: be the it can be the light in some words mm-hmm. um i feel like the sermon on the mount for instance um i love reading it Mm -hmm. or i'll give another example how i first got to know about Stephen mitchell was the last year that we lived in new york my wife and i bought a little cottage upstate and so we had to get a car and the car had a cassette in it and so we're upstate about hour and 10 minutes north of manhattan and i go to a used bookstore and i go to their books on tape place and i i buy a bunch i buy 10 Mm -hmm. it's now dusk I have them in the seat next to me. I'm going to drive back home. It's wintertime. There's a full moon. There are trees, no leaves on it. I'm on this winding country road. And the disc that I take out is The Doubted Jing by Stephen Mitchell. I put it in. His voice sounds like Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys. And he starts talking and he starts reading from The Doubted Jing. And I think, oh, the... The truth of the world is washing over me, and it's not unlike the Sermon on the Mount and other things that I know and embrace. Yeah, it's so interesting that it it is connected to
3: like something innate or some kind of um, you know uh, thing that you can't you know. It's not a tangible thing. There's this innateness that is connected to this uh, spiritual awakening. It seems like. Um, do you think, you know, and much of the stuff like when we talk about the Romans and the Greeks and all the religions back then, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I wonder if you think the advances in science and technology, like, do you think for some people that disproves the existence of God, or does it actually confirm it? <laughs> I, I'm I'm on the confirmed page. On the confirmed page, okay
2: Yeah. And this goes back to the Enlightenment goes mm-hmm. back to jefferson it goes back to the interpretation of the universe um as being clockwork that you needed to have some um deity clock maker right establish the the, the springs and the and the watch face right uh of this machine that starts and works and can and which is why Uh, Jefferson and also Tolstoy, who I wrote, um, one of the things I did in these intervening years as a way of continuing a spiritual search was to write a play Mm -hmm. about three famous people who all wrote their own gospels, Jefferson, Charles Dickens, and Leo Tolstoy. But Tolstoy and Jefferson took umbrage at the miracles. Because what they're saying is you are undermining Mm -hmm. the actual legitimacy. Like if you say, for instance, in the the Bible story where the where the sun is stopped in the sky. Mm-hmm. What you're saying actually is that the Earth stopped rotating on its <laughs> axis, and if right. that's true, the oceans and the continents are going to be spilling into each other. Mm-hmm. How would how would that occur? Um, you're, you're you're undermining. You would be undermining by asserting some of these miracles. You would be undermining the the grandeur of existence itself.
3: Yeah, there were many, uh, I mean, people thought germs were demons, you know, things like that. Like they're, you know, our knowledge about the world has kind of thrown away or disproved some of the mythology, I'll say, around a lot of religion and that type of thing. But people tend to put God in a different category that's different from dogma. I'll say, or some of these other things. Um, do you think God is necessary
2: to have a moral life? I don't think it's necessary to have a moral life, but the people who have the most moral lives that I observe are the ones who come back to being something in line with the great religions of the world. Uh, meaning? I mean Meaning, um, uh, love, be appreciative. Of mm. the existence and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's those type
3: of uh, broad ideals because all of those religions we're talking about also have specific right. um commands and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know?
2: And I'm and I'm that's where it loses me. Right. <laughs> where, 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 where it keeps in the 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 world yes. of uh, no fish on Friday. Um that that I don't feel like even though there might be a clockmaker god, I don't think it would be you know what? On Friday, let's let's put a little bit of variety in the in the diet, and maybe do some right. pasta. Maybe do some vegetables. Right. Um, I I I don't think. Uh, very often, when I hear people with whom I find d- up disagreeing talk about God, it's the posit- it's the projection from their own personalities to a petty God. Yeah. <laughs> <I agree. laughs> which is why on ye gods, which you brought up the I keep open and I kind of like hearing mm-hmm. how people who are very different than I am um how, I, I want to hear more distinctions. And the more that people tell me about their origin story, how they came to something, um, the more that it almost all makes sense to me in the same way mm-hmm. that um if you'd have said to me before my near-death experience, you could have told me some things that I believe now I would not have entertained them from you. I I would not have been receptive to hearing them. Yeah.
3: What's been some of your favorite moments so far in Egan's? Anything stand out for you as wow? I'm so glad I'm doing this podcast because well that was almost
2: uh, well there's something in almost everyone. Um. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Paul uh, Paul F. Tompkins, the the comedian. Sure. He was okay. So he was raised one of six. Irish Catholic kids in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. And when all the kids are out of the house, uh, his, their mother, and they go to a parochial school the whole time, mm-hmm. uh, the kids are out of the house, and the mother tells them that she's decided all religion is shit. Mm. And she never goes to church again. A couple of years wow. later, when she gets sick, she will not allow a priest to see her. Mm-hmm. And when she dies, there is no religion at the funeral. Mm. Um, well, you know, uh, talking to him about that was inc- was something really interesting to me. Almost, almost every guest comes from. Well, you even framing yourself as Cathgnostic. Yes, <laughs> which I remember you first told me at a at a party years and years ago.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. and
2: I just remember holding that that. If I ever do a podcast on this topic, I'm going to call you because I want you to expand on that yeah. and um, or let's say Julia Sweeney who considers herself an atheist but but a cultural Catholic mm-hmm. but doesn't like Jesus or the Bible. <laughs> that's
3: hilarious doesn't like jesus or the but you know what i don't like the entire bible not just
2: jesus <laughs> i want to throw the whole thing out but yeah, yeah. but i'm catholic other than that i'm catholic <laughs> Hari uh who is the, the the comic who was able sure. to get the simpsons take down the character of apu that's right yeah. and i i just i don't know much about hinduism so just having someone who's second generation, his parents mm-hmm. both emigrated from India in the 1970s, uh, just being able to ask him questions and have him explain stuff to me. Because mm-hmm. I think that, especially during the pandemic, I think it interrupted everybody's routine. Yeah, And I think a lot of people spend a lot more time thinking about issues that they may not have paid attention to when the routine, routine is going. And so that's why I think a lot of people um, retired early. They have decided to retire early or they'll go back to work, but they don't want to go back to an office or a lot of people have left the major cities and have gone to some more rural place where they can all have front yards and backyards and mm-hmm. raise their kids. I think it's a time. And then also, I'm a baby boomer and it, uh, baby boomers are, are aging. And you've got to be thinking about some of these, what George Saunders calls the big cheerful russian questions about life um you got to be thinking about those more often the closer you get to the (laughs) to when the waiter is going to bring you your check Mm
3: -hmm. you know do you think the country is less religious now than it has been it seems like the culture i mean the culture used to be so religious when we were growing up you know yeah going to church and something was just a given it was just you know and, it, you know, it's not in the culture in the same way. In fact, I feel like the moral majority came around partly because of that loss of religion in the culture. And that was their attempt to put it in politics, you know, and hold on to whatever beliefs those particular people had, you know, because uh, there wasn't a need for a moral majority in that sense to completely related to religion. There were movements like that, but they usually had other causes. And it wasn't really religion, you know it was like racism or you know, <laughs> or whatever it was you know but it's i wonder if you know if the pandemic has had an effect on any of this because i certainly feel like culture and religion we're getting wider and wider apart but i wonder if the pandemic is going to have any kind of boomerang effect on it if people are, are going to be getting more spiritual or more religious or where god ends up in the next like 20 30 50 years any thoughts there's, on that there's a recent
2: gallup poll mm-hmm. That says eight out of 10 Americans, um, they may not be religiously affiliated, but they believe either in God or higher power. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of friends. I've never, um, been a 12 stepper, but I have so many friends that the 12 step program has, um, benefited them, saved their lives and uh, some people believe uh, that it saved their lives. Mm-hmm. in fact one of one of one of the guests on ye Gods, um Anna Cox, the uh, journalist um mm-hmm. talked talked about exactly about this mm-hmm. um that um I do think um, th- I also think that in answering polls, it may be an issue where it's not cool to say you believe in God. And I think it may under 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 be, be underrepresented in Poland, yeah
3: interesting um it, the question is to what extent and is that is there yeah. is there a real change happening who knows
2: you know or what fascinates me is people who most loudly proclaim uh allegiance to God or somehow that they speak for God who seem to be following nothing mm-hmm. of the religion that they claim to to carry the banner for
3: yeah and there's a divide between religion and culture in many more strident ways where there's just no you can't connect those two it says if you're religion then you if you're religious then there's no way you can agree with these things <laughs> you know <laughs> like there's all these divisive lines between it now which i think make it uncomfortable i agree with you for some people to even admit it if they are because they don't want to abide by those rules.
2: Yeah, and you also get into, which is what I talk to my guests about, is I don't know anybody, or I know very few people, who are completely party line on, on their religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of Catholics, I know a lot of Catholics who completely accept gay marriage, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm one of them. Well, I think that more and more people are like that and feel like less, well, the Pope says this. So mm-hmm. I have to believe it or I have to follow it because he says it. I remember you, you, you're younger than I am, but when I was growing up, the Catholic Catholic Legion of Decency would condemn movies. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That sure I did. loved, like I loved The Apartment, Billy Wilder, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Lemmon, mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies of all time. The Catholic Legion of Decency mm-hmm. uh, condemned it. And I remember thinking, what kind of an organization is this that could be so yeah. presumptuous? And they've got a lot of nerve to use the word decency. You know? Yeah. Well, but that was before <laughs> we. But that was before we had a sense of mm-hmm. how widespread um, predator priests were, yeah. or how the institution enabled it by transferring people who were known to be pedophiles to different um, parishes. Um, well, Scott, it's been so great talking to you. Like I said,
3: we could go on and on about <laughs> these things, but I wanted people to really get a sense of what you're doing out there. I love that you're putting this type of thing in the world. I think it's just great, you know? Oh,
2: well, thank you so much. Thank um, you.
3: So Ye Gods, it's the name of the podcast, and tell us where we can find it and who's, and anything else we need to know about it.
2: Apple or Spotify or any place or YouTube, any place you get your podcasts, and um, we have new we have I think we've released 12 or 13 episodes. And I think we've got uh, we have at least have I think I've got in the bank ones through the middle of June. And then we're going to keep making more. It's Great. the it, the reaction has been wonderful and primarily because of wonderful guests such as yourself
3: oh look at that i wasn't even fish today <laughs> well take care my friend it's always good to see you. you and uh you guys you guys um some really good conversations out there whether we doesn't matter where your beliefs are this is a lot of good nourishment just to have these conversations i feel you know it just it just helps with everything to have him. And then thanks Scott Carter for doing it. Thanks, Scott. Good seeing you. Thank you, Larry Wilmore.